I'm Tom Ardman with Ardman Farms in Floresville, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas, agricultural on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Kerry Martin. Hello, Texas. It is always great to have you along for another edition of Texas Ag Today. All you got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. Let's take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, the Texas wheat harvest is now 63% complete, but rain is still causing a lot of harvesting headaches. We'll have more on that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. We're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. It looks like we're heading into some drier weather in the Texas High Plains, which hopefully means a lot more farmers can get some field work done. I'm James Hunt and we'll talk about that on Texas Ag Today. Protecting against corn diseases in Southeast Texas. I'm Tom Nicoletti and I'll have more from a recent field day on Texas Ag Today. A new law in Texas will provide improved liability protections for Texas landowners and lessees when a damaged fence allows livestock to escape and cause an accident. I'm Gary Joyner and I'll have details on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. The Texas wheat harvest now 62% complete according to this week's Texas Crop Progress and Condition Report. That is right on pace with the five-year average. But this year's harvest has been a big challenge thanks to the rain. Carl Mickey of Uvalde County says it's been practically a constant downpour since he started harvesting back in May. Wheat harvest been kind of rough this year because I had a little over 17 inches in three and a half weeks sparking a day after we started harvesting. Mickey says that's the first real rainfall he's seen in nearly three years, and the results of his wheat harvest are all over the place. The dry land, we didn't even think we were going to make a crop, but we got one inch of rain in March, and I had it run from 10 bushels to 40 bushels on the dry land. The irrigated probably one of the better wheat crops we've had. I figured it'd run 80, maybe more, and look like we're somewhere in the 60s right now and got all the numbers back yet. One big problem Mickey has had during this winter wheat harvest is all of the backpacks, shoes, clothes, and trash left in his fields by illegal immigrants crossing the border. Triple-digit heat is baking most of Texas again this week, putting heat stress on both humans and livestock. 
It is no secret it is downright hot outside right now. And as humans run the risk of overheating, so do livestock. The Texas A&M Vet School says fans, shade, and water can help keep your livestock cool. Use fans to increase airflow in barns, which can help animals lose heat through their skin. But be sure the fans can withstand high outdoor temperatures. All animals should have access to cool, clean water. Shade, whether it comes from trees or buildings like run-in shelters, can help animals cool off a bit and prevent sunburn on some light-skinned animals. If you notice signs of overheating like fast breathing, decreased activity, slobbering, stumbling, or incoordination, contact your veterinarian. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Nominations are being sought for Texas representatives on the Cattlemen's Beef Promotion and Research Board, or CBB. USDA is seeking nominations to succeed 27 members with terms that expire in March of 2024. Of that 27, four of those are Texas seats that are currently open for a three-year term beginning in 2024 and ending in 2026. Any cattle producers interested may submit their application to a certified nominating organization here in Texas, such as the Texas Farm Bureau. The deadline for nominations is July 10th. The Texas High Plains should see some drier weather soon. James Hunt says that should open the door for farmers to get some field work done. The Texas High Plains region appears to be headed into a drier period in the next few days, which hopefully allows a lot more farmers to do some field work. For many producers, a major priority is going to be the battle with weeds. Kevin Heflin is an agronomy program specialist with Texas A&M AgriLife. In a lot of places, we've got a real mess because the weeds are already much bigger than the label, you know, says that it's to control. You know, our joke is you're supposed to spray weeds at two to four inches, and that's not two to four inches above the crop. Not only did the heavy rains in May and early June delay farmers' opportunity to fight weeds, Dr. Heflin says herbicides applied in the early spring became less effective. Typically, you see herbicides will, especially a pre-herbicide, will last anywhere between 30 to 45 days. You know, you'll have good, you know, or 100% weed control. But with all of this rain, some of these herbicides are you're losing control at, you know, somewhere between 20 and 30 days. Weeds, a very big issue right now for our farmers. Now, on to a special note for those in the cattle business. Registration is underway for the annual Texas A&M Beef Cattle Short Course, taking place August 7th through August 9th at Texas A&M University. A lot of the focus will be on herd rebuilding. Dr. Jason Clear, the events coordinator, offers this important tidbit. There is a special discount, a $20 discount for Texas Farm Bureau members when you register. And so you can go to the Texas Farm Bureau membership benefits site and you can pick up that discount code. You can find more information about the discount in the membership section at TexasFarmBureau.org. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. There are two corn diseases that Southeast Texas farmers need to keep an eye out for. Tom Nicoletti has the story. My guest today is Brent Cherney. He is with Bear Crop Science, a customer business advisor. Brent was one of the presenters at a recent Southeast Texas Field Day. Corn was on display for more than 140 farmers from Fort Bend County and adjacent counties. Brent talked to the group about diseases impacting corn in the region. 
Our two biggest diseases here in South Texas is northern corn leaf blight and then southern rust. So the, the northern corn leaf blight can come in early and uh, the southern rust tends to come in a little bit later. So I spoke a little bit about fungicides and, and how to protect your corn not only from those two diseases but also just the aspect of total corn plant health. One thing you stressed was plants that are stressed are more vulnerable and certainly the fungicide applications uh, whether they're necessary or not are certainly important. Yeah so plants aren't much different than us right so so if we have a weak immune system or weak in any way I mean it's just an entry point for diseases and well, well the corn plants the same way. The fungicides most of the ones I talked about are, are dual products so not only are they preventative but they're also curative but the main thing is you, you want to be on the front side of, of any disease. The emergence of the corn here in these test plots was very good and the high height on these corn plants as we stand here in the field uh, here in the middle of June. We had a very good planting this year. I mean, we were able to plant on time that late February time. It was warm. We had good soil moisture and we had emergence on corn, probably the best I've ever seen. That is Brent Cherney with Bear Crop Science here in Southeast Texas. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A new law passed by the Texas legislature will provide improved liability protections for Texas landowners and lessees. Gary Joyner has the details. Under current state law, when livestock escape through a fence and cause an accident, the landowner or lessee is liable for damages. This is true even if the landowner or lessee is not at fault for the fence damage. The situation is frustrating. Illegal trespassing and fence damage are a constant occurrence in areas of Texas. Something needed to be done. A bill approved by the Texas legislature and signed recently into law thankfully closes that gap in liability protection. House Bill 73 by State Representative Andrew Murr and State Senator Drew Springer becomes effective September 1st. The new law prevents landowners and lessees from being held liable for damages caused by livestock due to a damaged fence. It also prevents the landowner or lessee from being held liable due to acts of God, wildlife, and livestock that are beyond their control. Trespassers cutting or driving through fences are a serious concern in Texas. These situations often occur late at night. Farmers and ranchers have suffered significant losses of time, resources, and money due to illegal trespassing and fencing damage. The new law at least provides improved liability protection when those situations occur. I'm Gary Joyner for Texas Ag Today. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department has been hard at work studying how Audad, or Barbary sheep, can impact our native bighorn sheep. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. And a beef cow at a slaughter plant in South Carolina tested positive for an atypical case of BSE. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today.
Why do you listen? Anytime I'm talking to a friend about new music and I don't know what it is, it's probably because they were listening to the radio and I was. I'm nosy. I like to know what's going on, and radio usually is right there telling me what and when is going on and where it's going on. Well, listen in the barn, skid loader, tractor, and just about anywhere you can. When you put the lights on in the barn, the radio went on. Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com, tell us why you listen, and you have a chance to win $500. Visit whyilisten.com today. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. A beef cow at a slaughter plant in South Carolina tested positive for an atypical case of BSE. Dr. Bob Judd takes a closer look at the case. BSE is also called mad cow disease. The United States Department of Agriculture, or USDA, indicates on May the 24th of this year in the AVMA Journal that the five-year-old beef cow from a herd in Tennessee never entered the slaughter channels and did not present a risk to the food supply or to human health in the United States. The USDA also indicated that they do not expect any trade impacts as a result of this finding, as the United States has a negligible risk factor for BSE. This is the nation's seventh detection of BSE, and the first was a classical case of BSE in 2003, which was a cow imported from Canada. The rest of the cases have been atypical HRL-type BSE, and BSE is not contagious and exists in two types, classical and atypical. The classical form occurred in the United Kingdom in the late 1980s and has been linked to Crutchfelt Jakob disease in people. The primary source for classical BSE is feed contaminated with the infectious prion agent such as meat and bone meal containing protein derived from rendered infected cattle. Atypical BSE, as was a recent case found in South Carolina, generally occurs in older cattle and seems to arise rarely and spontaneously in all cattle populations. The South Carolina State Veterinarian indicates that this was an isolated case and that the United States has a robust system of safeguards designed to protect human and animal health against BSE. These systems were effective in preventing entry into the public and animal food supply systems. Veterinary authorities in Tennessee and South Carolina are investigating the case. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department has been studying how Aldad or Barbary sheep can have an impact on our native bighorn sheep. Jessica Domel has more in today's wildlife report. 90% of desert bighorn sheep who are infected with a bacteria called MOV will die. And research has revealed that exotic Audad, which are numerous in far west Texas, can carry the disease, sometimes without showing any symptoms. To see how and if Audad, or Barbary sheep, can infect our native bighorn sheep, the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department has been hard at work studying Audad. Froilan Hernandez, TPWD's Desert Bighorn Sheep Program Leader, joins us to discuss phase two of their research. We captured some free-ranging bighorns on elephant, took them to Mason Mountain Wildlife Management Area, a holding facility there. After a 20-30 day acclimation period, then some Audet were brought in. Again, those Audet were artificially infected or they were inoculated with that uh, nasal washes from domestic sheep and, and most domestic sheep carry that bacteria. 
those are that were inoculated or artificially infected with the bacteria. And then we tested to see if the bacteria could be transmitted through the shared water sources. So I guess indirect contact, the subsequent part of that study was co-mingling infected all dead with bighorn, could they transmit the bacteria and, and subsequently the disease. And in both cases, it appears that yes, they can, all that can transmit that bacteria and infect bighorns through that shared water source without direct contact. And as you might suspect, the direct contact aspect of it also demonstrated that disease can be you know, transmitted. Hernandez says there is a disclaimer that interaction was forced and in a controlled setting. He said how often Audad come into direct contact with bighorns in the wild still needs to be looked at. They're also researching how we can mitigate or manage the disease, perhaps by managing Audad. We'll have more on that on our next show. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Corn and cattle continue to move in opposite directions. We'll take a look at all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Why do you listen? I just want to stay informed while I'm on the go. News on the radio, it's nice because it's just a quick snippet and I don't have to go searching for it or grab a paper. I listen to radio because anywhere that I'm going, I'm listening to music or I'm listening to a talk show or I'm just trying to stay up on current events. I always turn into the radio to see if I need to take shelter or where it's hitting to see what I need to be preparing for. Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com, tell us why you listen, and you have a chance to win $500. Visit whyilisten.com today. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The corn market saw a big drop on Friday. That gave feeder cattle prices a big boost, but it wasn't enough to help the live cattle market. June live cattle dropped 15 cents Friday, closing at 177.50. The August down 37 at 170.77. October down 17 cents, 174.50. Big jump in the feeder market. August feeder cattle down 327, 233.95. The September down 317 at 237.70, while October feeder cattle up 297 at 240.15. Cash fed cattle trade wrapping up the week, selling cattle at 180 here in the Southern Plains. That's two bucks lower compared to last week. Dressed cattle up north, selling at 290. That's six bucks lower compared to the previous week's average. Boxed beef prices lower on Friday, choice down a penny, three thirty-four forty-six. Select down two ninety at three hundred dollars ninety cents. Now let's check the livestock auctions. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Jim Wheeler, Atascosa Livestock Exchange, Pleadenton, Texas. How did the sale go Tuesday? They was short two hundred eleven head. Market still pretty pretty good all the way around, and they put uh, six dollars on packer cows from last two. We'll walk the pens with us, Jim. All right, 97 steers, 78 heifers, 12 cows, and 14 bulls. Steer side, two to three weights, 215 to 305. Heifers were $2 to 260. Three to four weight steers, 210 to 302. Heifers were 195 to 240. Four to five weight steers, $2 to 255. Heifers were $1.80 to 225. Five to six weight steers, $1.90 to 240. Heifers were $1.70 to 216. Six seven weight steers, 275 to 215. Heifers were $1.55 to 210. 
seven day weight steers a dollar sixty five to a dollar ninety five heifers were a dollar forty to a dollar eighty eight to nine weight steers a dollar forty to a dollar eighty and the heifers were a dollar twenty five to a dollar sixty five what they have on the cows two oh eight this week uh best packer cow brought a dollar eight best bull brought a dollar twenty five had a few bred cows not many they brought from seven ninety five to eleven twenty five and we kept one pair together, brought seventeen fifty. Do you know of anything for next week? Uh, no, not offhand. And it's so hot, you got to pin them the night before and then be there at daylight. Take morning to sort them. Yeah, yep. I imagine it's going to be short again until uh, we get some kind of little weather break here. I understand. We'll tell everybody how to get a hold of you. Hey, Johnson, eight three zero five six nine two five one six. We appreciate it. Thank you very much, Jim. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. And thank you, too, neighbor, for listening to Walking the Pins on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm Larry Marble. You're doing so on Texas Ag Today. Back over to the futures market now. Raleen Honks finished lower on Friday. July Honks down 57 cents, 91.27. The August down 30, 89.67. Class 3 milk was slightly higher. June milk up a nickel, 15.94 hundred weight, with July milk up 9 cents, 15.38 hundred. The cotton market closed lower, a higher U.S. dollar, and the big drop-off in the grain markets helped to move cotton prices lower on Friday. July cotton dropped 123 points, closing at 78.06. The lightly traded October down 196 points at 79.83. And the December contract dropped 148 to end the week at 78.67 cents. The corn market seemed to be the highlight of the trade on Friday. Now, this market has taken huge jumps higher because of dry weather and expanding drought in the Midwest Corn Belt. Of course, the market probably is a bit overbought, so traders came in and pulled back on it a bit. Also, the forecast did give a slight chance of some rain in certain areas of the Midwest over the weekend, so that helped to push prices lower as well. July corn dropped 29 and three quarters, ending the week at 6.30 and three quarters. September corn down 32 and a quarter, 5.84 and three quarters, with the December contract down 32 and three quarters, 5.88 a bushel. Wheat market was lower Friday. July Kansas City wheat down 12, 8.59. July Chicago wheat down five and three quarters, 7.33 and a quarter. In the energy markets, July natural gas was up 10 cents, 2.71. August West Texas crude down 37, 69.14 a barrel. The financial markets were lower Friday afternoon. The Dow down 205 points at 33,741. The Nasdaq down 131 at 13,498. The S&P down 31 at 4,349. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A., Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.